You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. It is Sunday morning, March 15th. This is Jared Pickney, and I'm sitting in our church building in downtown Paragold with the Adam Breckenridge, and it seems like everything is shutting down from schools across the country to professional and collegiate sports to churches and local community centers. I mean, pretty much any and every event uh, seems to be canceling, and therefore, needless to say, uh, life in many ways just does not seem normal uh, for most of us. Uh, we're all doing this social distancing and self-quarantine thing. People are buying truckloads of toilet paper and gasoline. And uh, Though, Adam, we've not spoken much since all of this has gone down, I'm assuming that your life has looked pretty much like mine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've never seen anything like this. This is uh, surreal. And so, um, kind of like you said, um, for us and probably for most of you listening to the podcast, my family's pretty much stayed indoors and tried to avoid uh, contracting and spreading this thing called the coronavirus. And and truly, we're still not even sure exactly what's going on. So I, I think that's pretty much where we're at. Yeah. So you know, clearly, Adam and I are not medical professionals who can speak at length about the coronavirus itself. Um, but as pastors, we do want to take a moment just to talk about what we believe it looks like for disciples of Jesus to navigate life in a world that suddenly looks a lot different than the world that we have been used to living in. And so just to kind of kick this thing off, Adam, I would like to hear from you on this. Obviously, a lot of people are experiencing some pretty high levels of anxiety um, at this moment in time. I mean, you turn on the news and you see these images of people wearing face masks and lining up for hospital beds, and you have all these crazy uh, statistics floating around. And so um, for those who may be listening and finding themselves kind of in this state of panic, what encouragement can we offer them? Yeah, well, that's a great question, Jared. And I think first it's important to acknowledge that this is a scary situation. I mean, these are uncertain times. And so if you're feeling afraid, I don't think you're overreacting just because this situation scares you. That said, however, I, I, I want to also acknowledge that there is such a thing as a healthy fear and then there's an unhealthy fear or what we might say a toxic fear. And so when you think of a healthy fear, think of the kind of fear that, that leads to wisdom. So this would be a fear that says, okay, you know, there's a real virus that's spreading through our country and around the world. Um, this virus is making people really sick. Some people are dying, I think, especially of those who are elderly or those who have compromised immune systems already. Like if they get this thing, this can be very deadly, and, and we've seen that happen. And so if you look at this situation, and I'm just being human, then there should be a healthy fear and respect for what this virus can do. And that fear is going to lead me to act wisely. So I'm going to take measures, you know, to help this thing not spread, like social distancing and following, you know, protocols around sanitation and all that kind of stuff. And this kind of healthy fear is not as much about self-protection for self-protection's sake. Like this is not just me trying to cover my own skin. I think a real fear um, is, is like, I don't want this thing to spread. You know, I don't want this thing to spread, especially to our more, more vulnerable neighbors. And so, yes, out of a healthy fear, I'm going to act wisely. I'm going to stay indoors as much as I can. I'm going to buy a couple weeks worth of groceries 
and I'm going to try this whole social distancing thing. And so this fear leads to wisdom and, and love for my neighbor. Mm. On the flip side, however, um, there's what you know we would call a toxic fear. And this is where fear grows and mutates into something that's a lot worse. And we become totally given over to uh, anxiety. And now I'm out buying up all the toilet paper, which you've seen, right? Mm. Like in, uh, you've seen memes about that. Um, I'm buying up all the toilet paper. I'm constantly checking the news, constantly checking my temperature. Every time my child coughs, I got this sense of panic. Um, and so I, I get myself in this place where I'm just kind of compulsively dwelling on all the what ifs and all the worst case scenarios. And then as a result, I'm not present to God. I can't be present to myself, to others, because my mind is just consumed with worry. Yeah. And unfortunately for a lot of people, um, this is becoming an increased reality. Um, as we watch the news, kind of like you said, you see all these images, and our fears are just beginning to escalate and grow. And rather than having this sober mind, which the Scriptures actually command of disciples of Jesus to have a sober mind, to be alert, rather than having a sober mind, like we're getting drunk on this anxiety that really clouds our judgment and leads us to do things like buy 500 rolls of toilet paper. Mm. And I think we're going to talk more about this in a second, but you know the most dangerous consequence is that you know, when you give yourself over this kind of anxiety is you just, you just not only do you lose your mind, but you totally lose sight of God's presence. Yeah. And so you become cut off from an awareness of the presence of God. And now not only are you scared, but you have no power or resources to help you walk through what you're actually afraid of and don't have control of. And I know from very personal experience that's a, that's a very lonely, scary painful place to be and you know a lot of people are there right now totally and so as a follow-up question to that how do we lead ourselves then into a non-anxious presence in a world that seems to be falling apart i mean in the midst of all of the uncertainty and the sickness and the what ifs is it really possible to go from panic to peace and if so how do we get there that is the question um and to help answer that i think it's important to kind of name and understand what toxic fear or anxiety really is and I think the best definition of anxiety is simply imagining the future without Jesus in it. So it's when we try to prepare for the worst-case scenarios without Jesus in the picture with us. And so I'm imagining myself walking through the valley of the shadow of death, right? And I'm freaking out because in my vision of reality, there's no good shepherd with me. Like Jesus is just not in the picture. Um, it's just me trying to figure it out. And, and I don't have Jesus leading me, caring for me ruling and reigning and working all things together for my good. And so, again, just to repeat that definition, I think anxiety is really just me imagining a future place without Jesus in it. And that being said, I would say in short that if, if we want to overcome anxiety, the most important thing we have to do is practice abiding in the vine. Absolutely. Um, which is, you know, what Jesus talks about in John 15, right? To remain consciously connected to and aware of his personal presence. And his particular love for me and for you. And, and to simply realize that Jesus is present today. He will be present tomorrow. And that good news gives me courage to face whatever today or tomorrow may bring. And it sets me free from worry and leading others into worry. Um, that's the thing about this worry and anxiety is it's super contagious. So like if I'm not abiding in the vine, not only am I an anxious presence, but I'm discipling and leading other people into that. And um, if I'm abiding in Jesus, I can actually experience, you know, what Paul talks about in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where the peace of God, which surpasses logic, surpasses understanding, it's bigger than whatever I should be freaking out about, will actually guard my heart and mind 
in Christ Jesus. So that's the goal, to answer your question. I think if we want to overcome anxiety, we've got to learn to abide in the vine. Yeah, very good. I've, I've recently been reading through the Old Testament. I've been struck again by the, the famous story that we all heard growing up of mm-hmm. David and Goliath. Um, and it's become so famous and, and cliche, we almost miss some of the deeper and beautiful meanings in it. But you have this giant Goliath who's striking fear into the Israelites. And it's not a, a you know the healthy fear, but it's like we're all going to die mm-hmm. type of fear. And then from out of this obscure place appears this young man who has been in isolation, a man named David, who basically his friends are the sheep, right? His only companions, as far as we know, are the rocks. Um, but despite the fact that David has been living in isolation, his hope is rooted in the God who has been meeting him in these hidden places. And so if you can just imagine this for a moment, I mean, you have the nation of Israel. They're terrified by this giant. And then you have David, someone who's been living on the edge of society with a bunch of sheep. And unlike the Israelites who are anxious, David is bold and courageous. And why is he bold and courageous? Well, it's because every day while living in isolation, David has been spending time with the God who holds the world in his hands. Mm. He's been memorizing scripture and praying and singing psalms. And it is from that place, from out of the shadows, he comes to bring supplies to his brothers. And, and he discovers what has happened and how the people of Israel are cowering down from this giant. And in verse 32, I just want to kind of read from this story if it's okay. But in verse mm. 32, David said to Saul, who was the king of Israel at the time, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Verse 33, Saul replied, You were not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You were only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. And so uh, David shows up as this non-anxious presence, and immediately, rather than being welcomed, he is hit with criticism. Saul's like, come on, David, I mean, be realistic. I mean, how can you possibly face such a big and scary giant like Goliath? But then if you notice, I I love this, because rather than David being like, you know what, you're right. Uh, rather than David allowing Saul's anxiety to become his anxiety, um, listen to what happens next. Verse 34 says, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, then go and the Lord be with you. And so David recognizes that God has been preparing him for a moment like this. He realizes, and it's so important we get this, that the battles he's been fighting in the private spaces has now prepared him for how he's going to handle the battle that is waging on in this public space. Um, because as Americans, though we do not find ourselves on a literal battlefield, I think it's important that we realize we do find ourselves in a fight against a giant that right now seems to be so much bigger and scarier than anything else we have seen. And like David, what we need to know is that if we want to show up as a non-anxious presence, we need to realize that it's that it's in the behind the scenes. It's in the isolation and the obscurity that some of us are being pushed into right now. Mm-hmm. Right in the mundane that God wants to meet us and equip us and empower us for whatever may come our way. This is what David understands here. And so as we continue to to just read in this story, in, in verse 38, it says, Saul then dressed David in his own tunic, and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Uh, David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. 
But then he said, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in his pouch of a shepherd's bag. And then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistines. So I love this because here we see David is clearly a non-anxious presence. Right? He doesn't say, well, I guess I better wear this armor that the king is making me wear. I don't want to you know, upset the king. He wants me to wear this, so I better just throw it on. But rather, he's honest about the fact, hey, the armor doesn't fit me. It doesn't feel right. And so he takes it off, and what does he do? Mm. He goes out onto the battlefield completely vulnerable. I mean, from a military perspective, he practically walks out on the battlefield naked in front of this giant. He goes out with nothing on, but he goes out in confidence because he knows that God is with him. And again... I think this is such a needed word for us today because it's in moments like this, uh, moments where the world is in a panic, moments where we find ourselves going up against another giant that seems to be so much greater than us, that rather than placing our hope in our own resources and equipment and self-protection strategies and saying our ultimate hope is found in those things, we instead place our hope in the one true God of the universe who is with us in the battle. And that's what we see David do here. And what's so interesting is because David has been tethered to God in the secret places of life. When he steps out into the battlefield and he faces Goliath, he realizes the giant is actually not as big and scary as everyone else thought him to be. Mm-hmm. In the words of Malcolm Gladwell, who recently wrote a book on David and Goliath, you know, he says here that David realizes that oftentimes our giants are not what we think they are. And so as a result, I'll just read a few more verses and, and I'll shut up and let you talk. But, but it says in verse 45 that David says to the Philistines, You come against me. With sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, Mm. the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver into my hands, will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcass of the Philistine, the armies of the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it, and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Now, obviously there's a lot in there, but I just want to say this. There are people who are listening to this podcast right now, and they are an anxious mess. Uh, Maybe that's even you. You're freaking out over what you're seeing or you're hearing in the news. And I just want to say that as disciples, um, though we're not called to be stupid, we're not called to throw caution to the wind and say, well, I ain't washing my hands, right? I'm going to trust the Lord, right? Or I'm not distancing myself from from anybody because God is with me. Um, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is this. I believe that right now, uh, as a church, we have a wonderful opportunity to live as salt and light, uh, to fight against the decay of the world and shine the light of Christ into this dark and scary moment so that people can find the hope and the peace they are longing for in Christ. And back to your point, Adam, the only way that this is going to happen, the only way that we can stand is this non-anxious presence in the middle of the chaos is by spending time with God in the isolation that we're actually being forced into. By taking advantage of some of the downtime and the social distancing and the canceled events, by spending an extended uh, period of time, by tethering our hearts to God. And then know that as we do that, 
That is, we practice the presence of God in the isolation that through God's Spirit, though, though, though God may lead us to some dangerous and risky places, he will be with us just as he was with David when he faced off against Goliath. Man, amen and amen. So good, so true. Um, gosh, man, I, I needed to hear that. I need to hear that. And I think this is why, you know, to your point about how we're spending our time in this isolation, how David spent his time in isolation, we, we gotta, we gotta consider like, how are you spending your time? I think this is so important for, for us to severely limit and restrict the amount of time that we spend scrolling through social media, like just in general, but especially right now, um, and watching the news. And by the way, just as an aside, instead of like, Cable news and social media. If you're gonna if you're gonna look up something about the coronavirus, I would stick to sources like the World Health Organization. Mm-hmm. Um, these are leading experts. They're gonna tell you what's true, and they're gonna give you the big picture and not just show like all the scary snapshots. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but yeah, key to being a non anxious presence is abiding in Jesus. And key to abiding in Jesus right now is limiting your screen time and and all the distractions that we give ourselves to. I think there's a huge temptation right now, and I feel it too, um, to try to manage and numb our fear and and the uncertainty and the pain uh, just by binge-watching Netflix or YouTube or, you know, we want to occupy our minds with social media and video games and Panda Pop and Candy Crush and whatever, Snapchat. I'm too old and, like, know what some of these things are. But... um, but just imagine, okay, with me, like the difference and what it would look like if, as disciples of Jesus, we, we cut out all those distractions. And instead of filling our time that way, we actually filled our time with, with prayer, like with, with stopping and praying and, and having a conversation with God throughout the day about like, man, I'm afraid. And letting that lead you into the presence of God in mm-hmm. prayer. What if we filled our time with meditation on Scripture and, and reading books and listening to songs that stir our hearts for God and fill us with truth. I actually just saw a great playlist of worship songs uh, to sing when you're afraid mm-hmm. uh, posted by the Gospel Coalition. And so, you know, bottom line is whatever it is, if, if we're going to be that non-anxious presence, we must practice the presence of God. We must uh, remain aware of, of His presence and abide in Him if we're going to have peace replace panic. Uh, and I would also just say, like, at the end of the day, part of having a sober mind is, is we have to remember that we have every reason to trust that this epidemic will pass. Sure. We've seen this time and time again, you know, whether it be the flu epidemic we saw back in, you know, 1918 or 1957, the SARS outbreak in 2002, the swine flu in 2009. We've seen this time and time again, and these kind of things do happen, and, and they're very scary. They need to be taken seriously, but we have to remember this too shall pass. And lastly, ultimately, you know, I just want to say as disciples of Jesus, we have to embrace, especially right now, the, the real hope that we have rooted in the resurrection of Jesus, mm-hmm. that Jesus is alive, um, Jesus is in control, and one day soon Jesus will return again to renew all creation, to make all sad things come untrue. And we will at that moment experience nothing but the beauty and the perfection of his presence. And I think this is you know what Jesus is getting at in John sixteen thirty three, when he leaves his disciples with this word, and it's true for us today. He says, "Listen, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart; I have overcome the world." And so there it is. In this world, trouble, and we're experiencing that right now. But in Christ, peace, provided that you abide in Him. 
and we know that ultimately if we do, we shall overcome. Man, that is so good, and and so much more that we can say. But for the sake of time, um, Adam, I just like to ask, what else, if anything else, can the church be doing in this unique season, as as you see it from your perspective? Yeah, very good. Lots we could say, and I'll just say a couple things. First, I I would encourage followers of Jesus to start not with asking, you know, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Not that that's not an okay thing to ask, but like, what what if we started instead with God? What are you wanting to do in my own heart through this? You know, how are you wanting to work in this unique season in my life and in the world around me? What are you up to right now? How can I join you in that work for the good of the world and the glory of your name? And the truth is, historically, it is precisely in times like these that the church can really shine. Um, This is a chance for us to remember who we are um, and whose we are, that we are the children of the God of the universe. Mm -hmm. He's our Father because of what Christ has done for us, and that as his children, we are also sent out as his missionaries. That's that's who we are. Meaning, um, like you said earlier, Jared, we're here to be salt and light. Mm-hmm. We're here to show people a picture of the real resurrection hope we have in Jesus in the face of suffering and death. And you even see this historically, like during plagues, um, Christians historically, like when everybody else who has the means would flee, um, you see Christians would stay mm-hmm. and serve the needy and the vulnerable. And this has been linked to revival breaking out, which which brings me to my final word of encouragement. Um, I would just encourage, we would encourage as pastors, like each disciple of Jesus to just pray right now for God to use this, this whole coronavirus-like pandemic to bring about revival, to, mm-hmm. to, to bring about an outbreak of the kingdom of God in our church, in our city, our region, our country, and our world. Um, I mean, I think about this. We sit here, it's March 15th, and you know, we saw that tweet from, from President Trump earlier uh, where he said, he declares that today's a national day of prayer. And I'm looking at this tweet from yesterday, and he writes, we are a country that throughout our history has looked to God for protection and strength mm. in times like these. And so, I mean, whatever you think of the president, the point is God's calling right now all people to turn to him. And to embrace the reality that life has never worked without him. Um, our illusions of being in control and that we are not going to die are being confronted right now. And one thing is for sure, everybody is looking for a savior right now. And so, man, as the church, let's pray that more and more people, ourselves included, would, would turn to Jesus and embrace him as our hope and our savior. And pray that there would be an outbreak of the kingdom of God and that the masses would be infected by his presence and his love in Christ. Yeah, totally. So we want to make that our prayer, um, that God would infect the masses with his presence and his power. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, as we close with this podcast, uh, just a reminder, um, especially to our Crossing family, um, we will actually be live streaming um, the next couple services in um, March, the next two uh, Sundays, and though our Sunday gathering uh, for now is canceled, please remember that the church has not been canceled. Um, as you have heard us say many times before, the church is not a weekly service. It is not mm-hmm. a building, but the church is God's people saved by God's power and dwelt with God's presence and then sent out for God's purposes, to live as his missionaries, to shine his light and love into the world. And so with that being said, just as a final encouragement, um, I would just say this. Let's Look at this opportunity as a great time to be 
the church, yes. uh, to look for ways to serve your neighbors mm-hmm. um, and, and those who are most vulnerable in this season, right? to give away some of that toilet paper yeah. um, that maybe you've been stockpiling uh, to tip. You know, maybe two to three times more to that waiter or waitress who depends on these tips in order to feed their kids, but obviously is experiencing business um, in decline somewhat because people and, and the social distancing and all that that's going on. And so I um, would encourage you to use your extra time wisely. Practice the presence of God more than ever before. And then um, even if you decide, you know, not to meet with your missional community or your DNA, which we are encouraging at this time that you do that, but if you decide not to, um, take advantage of the technology that we have as a way um, of loving and spurring one another on to good works. And so with that, um, know that as your pastors, on behalf of Adam and Chuck and Luke, we love you guys, and we're here to serve you any way that we can. Grace and peace to each of you.